You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's the week of Sunday, August 21st, continuing our series, Romans the Declaration. Marty Solomon is back in town this week, bringing the fire at the Moscow campus. As he preaches through Romans 11, he talks about what it means to be grafted into God's family without forgetting where we came from. Good morning, Real Life. It's good to be back home. It's good after uh, years to really feel like this is home. Every year we have to leave, and I'm like, wait, where's home? Is this home? Is that home? And now this is home. So uh, thanks for making it home for me. Uh, If some of you are like, who the heck are you? Because I'm new this summer. (laughs) Home for you, what? Um, My name is Marty Solomon. I am the president of Impact Campus Ministries. Uh, We are a national campus ministry organization, and here on the Palouse, we have a partnership with this place here, Real Life on the Palouse, and I get to be a part of the team, the teaching team here, and a part of the family in that way, and it just means a lot to me. A couple things, uh, if I can talk to you college students. Any college students out there? Okay, good. I want to say a couple things. Some of you are asking me about my, my study and my ministry and when that starts up, not this coming week. But the next coming week, my ministry starts up. We're different time, different place. Uh, So come talk to me about that. I can get you the details. I don't want to do that here. Second thing I want to say to you college students, briefly before I get started, uh, there is not a decision you're going to make this year that's going to have a larger impact on the year you're going to have and what God's going to do through this year in your life. Nothing's going to impact it more than the people you surround yourself by. Um, so I want to encourage you to consider what that looks like for you. Uh, your roommates and your peer groups and people that you study with and all of that is excellent. Ask yourself where a community of faith fits in that what do you, collage of relationships because nothing's going to impact more than that. So we have our barbecue. If you want to know, like, I don't know, where do I get connected? Uh, we have a barbecue coming up at Gromley Park. It's in your sermon notes front page. Uh, we have Eric and Mitzi Wright do a monthly uh, Sunday night dinner, which is a really low key. If you're just like nervous, don't know, that's just like food and games. Like can't go wrong with that. There's no like crazy Bible stuff or anything like that. It's just a place to come and just get connected. And then if you want like, like if you want community, like if you're ready, uh, we have our care groups, college care groups. A lot of you get connected in regular adult care groups. That's great. But who you surround yourself by is going to make a difference. So uh, you can find Eric Wright's phone number on the front page of your sermon notes. He's also going to be standing out in the lobby in that connection corner under the Find Your Groups board. So go find Eric. Find a way to connect. Do it now in the first two weeks. Rather than waiting until October and being like having a nervous breakdown because your life is a mess and you should have done it earlier and you don't know what to do now because you don't have any time. And I've been at this gig for a while, I can tell. Um, do it now. It will make a difference now. Don't try to pick it up later. Okay, enough. Get connected. <laughs> you guys still have a sense of humor here? <laughs> You're going to need it today because I haven't been in the pulpit for a while. I'm warning you. This is kind of like me getting all kinds of bugs out of my system. But uh, we're going to go through Romans. You guys are still in Romans. My goodness. When I left, you were in Romans. You're still in Romans. But uh, we've been in Romans for a while. It's good. It's a good book to be in for a while. We... Um, We took a little break in the middle of the summer to do our Without Walls series. How was that? 
I wasn't here, but I imagine it was great fun. Uh, people like Richie Shaw and all those guys, it's always fun to listen to our other real-life peeps. Um, but now we're trying to head towards the ending of Romans. So if I were to talk about Romans, today I would, we're going to wrap up what I would call part number one. If Romans has two parts, the first two-thirds, the first 11 chapters is Paul's kind of theological treatise. And then the last four chapters is Paul's, if that's all true, how then therefore shall we live kind of a thing. And so today we wrap up Romans 11, and we've been at this for a while. Romans is not meant to be interacted with like this, kind of chunk by chunk by chunk. Romans is a letter. And so every now and then we have to stop, we have to go back, and we have to remember the letter. Does that make sense? So I want to go back and do a summary. You guys still with me? Okay, Brent made us this awesome diagram, okay? Uh, Romans starts out with the first three chapters, and if you remember the setting to the book of Romans, Claudius had issued an edict and all the Jews had to leave Rome, okay? And then uh, later they come back, but it's been, you know, a handful of years that the Gentiles have been running running the show, and there are new Gentiles, and Gentiles have been there for a while, and now the Jews come back and it's this weird dynamic of who's in charge and what's going on? It would be like if we told everybody with blonde hair you had to leave. Nobody laughed at that. <laughs> and, then, and then later they come back, and it's like, well, you see, the gingers are in control now, and what do we... <laughs> Thank you. Hey, okay. You just have to, you have to make a ginger comment. That'll make it funny. But yeah, there's this weird like, okay, but who's who? And Paul says, you're all a part of the family. Because here's the deal. Some of you have been at this for a really long time. Some of you have been called by God and you're Jewish. Some of you have been called into the family and you're Gentiles, but you kind of know what you're doing. Some of you are brand new, but no matter who you are, we've all experienced the same human experience. And that is, no matter what group you're a part of, we all create standards. Some of us have good standards. Some of us have bad standards. Some of us have standards that are kind of screwed up in the middle somewhere. Some Some of us have standards that came from God. Like the Jews had Torah. Like the New Testament's really, really clear. Is Torah good? Say yes. yes. Torah is good. Okay, and then there's like a group that has this moral standard. And that's okay and maybe a little screwed up at times. And then there's a group that has their own pagan standard. And Paul says, here's the other shared thing about the human experience. No matter who we are, we've all experienced this. Failure. We've all fallen short of whatever standards we set. Doesn't matter if it's God's standards and the right standard. Doesn't matter if it's the wrong. What I love is Paul's argument about the wrong standard. He says even the people that set up their own wrong standard fall short of their own standard. Does that make sense? We've all had this experience, correct? Okay. So, so Paul says, at least to part number two, here's the good news. No pun intended. The good news is that you, no, matter, no matter who you are, you're... If you all have experienced failure, the good news is that God says your failures don't define who you are. God says your worst chapters don't define your future. Oh, they might have consequences, but it doesn't define your future and it doesn't define your value before God no matter who you are. Group number one, group number two, group number three, God offers the same love, he offers the same forgiveness to all people and you access that the same way no matter who you are. What was the word? Faith, I think I heard somebody say. Trust. You trust in God's promises and God forgives you. 
God sets you free from all your failures. You trust in God's promises, and through his grace, you are set free. This is good news, correct? Okay, but here's what happens. People that have been at this for a while, religious folk. In Romans, it was the Jewish contingent. But I think in our day, it's probably most of us in the room, if we were honest. Religious folk that have been at this for a while, I mean, they've been working at letting Jesus transform their heart, and they've kind of been figuring out how to let go of their old self and become the person that Jesus wants them to be. And you start talking about this free forgiveness, opening up the floodgates of acceptance. And there's this thing that happens. The religious people get real nervous. Okay, okay, okay. God's free forgiveness, but... And I know this happens because half the conversations I have in the lobby are like, okay, but you're not saying that like all dogs go to heaven, right? You're not, well, the movie did. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. There's this thing in us religious people. We're like, okay, but let's not let this get out of control, right? And we start to feel like we have to like police God's grace. We have to like run interference for God's goodness, And then Paul moves to section three. And what he says in chapter nine in the Greek, when you parse it, check yourself before you wreck yourself. (laughs) I wasn't here to preach that, but that's what it says. Paul, Paul says, listen, you are the pot. God's the potter. You are the clay. You don't get to tell God like how his own story works. You don't get to be like, God, God, I think you're being a little generous there with the grace. You're the clay. And God gets to make whatever vessels he wants for whatever purposes he wants and use them any way he wants. And Romans 9, which we always use to talk about who's out, was actually an entire chapter about who's in. Because the quote was, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy on and I will have compassion on whoever I want to have compassion on. So the whole argument in Romans 9 was about how God wants to be compassionate to everybody, even though it makes his religious people nervous, okay? Now, then in chapter 10, Paul starts talking to the Jews, and he's really been talking to the Jews the whole time, but Paul's like, listen, you religious group of people, which in Romans is the Jewish contingent, you're getting real nervous, but listen, this has always been your story, because from the days of Abraham, what did he say? Through, through you, I want to bless all nations. How much is all? All. And Paul says, this has always been your call. Even before you had circumcision, this was your call. This has always been your story. And he goes back to Torah, and he goes back to the prophets, and he goes back to the writings, and he strings all these pearls together that says, this is your story to tell. Don't give up on your story. Don't let you be nervous, get in the way of what God's always been trying to do throughout all of human history. Okay? And what this means is that if we were to look at this story here, the treatise of Romans part one, next slide, is that there's a place for everyone in the story. Not everyone's gonna choose to be a part of God's family, but there's a place for everyone at the table. Group one, group two, group three. We all, we all have a place if we'll trust in the forgiveness of God. That's good news, right? And if that's true, then therefore, the only response is to love. 
The only response, Paul says in the last four chapters, is to love. You have to love. Because no matter who you are, and no matter where you're coming from, and no matter what you've done or who you're dealing with, the only response is just to love. So we, we, we get to love. So now what we're going to do is we're going to finish up this part number one where Paul's going to turn his attention to the Gentiles, which happens to be most of you. Okay? Is that okay? Can we talk about you guys today? Paul's been pretty hard on the Jewish folk for a while. Okay, so now Paul's going to turn his attention to the Gentiles, and he has a couple things to say to you all. Is that okay? I hope so, because that's the only thing I've got in my notes. <laughs> Romans 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Paul says, okay, we've been really hard on the Jews here about how they've lost the plot of the story. They've forgotten that they're supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They forgot that they're supposed to bless all nations. Like they've kind of lost the plot of the story. So did God forsake them? Like, are they just kind of out? Like God's moving on to plan B, New Testament. Paul says, no, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Now, the word, the word envious here isn't like jealousy. The word envious here is provoking. It's like, uh, it's like what my kids do when they want my attention. Dad, 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 dad. Maybe I should give them my attention earlier. I get that. Dad. <laughs> what? Okay. They're, they're, God said, listen, my people have lost the story. I'm not casting them off. I'm going to let all the Gentiles in. Nobody's cheering. That's good news for you. Like, God says, I'm just going to let the Gentiles in and, and remind my people what this was always about. Let's keep moving. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater, do you hear a Calvachomer in that? Okay. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Paul says, wait a minute. If their screw-up and their mistake can be good news for you, how much better is it going to be when they remember their story and buy back into the project of God? Yeah. Ah, yeah, second service coming to life. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Next, I am talking to you Gentiles. So for all of you that were like, well, how do you know he's talking to you Gentiles? I submit exhibit A. I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. Paul says, I love working with you Gentiles. Because every time the Gentiles come in and buy into God's story, it's one more chance that my brothers might be provoked to the call of God that God's always had on their life. Okay? All right. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So Paul comes back and makes this point a second time. Paul says, if, it's, if their rejection brought you eternal life, if their rejection brought you salvation, how much more will their inclusion be? You see, if just, if just a little bit of the dough gets this, it's going to spread through the whole batch. If the root of the tree will get a hold of what God's been doing, it's going to affect the entire tree. Okay? Now, uh, Paul's going to continue to use this image of the tree, 
One of the most common images of God's people in the Old Testament is the image of an olive tree. And to understand why the, New Te- the Old Testament does that, we need to understand how an, how an olive tree is cultivated. So in the Old Testament, the patriarchs are symbolic of the trunk of the tree. It is the story and the stories of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Jacob that God's people come out of. And out of Jacob comes these branches, these 12 sons, Israel, that start to branch and make this olive tree. Now, if you're working with olive trees in the real world, and you want to continue to cultivate an olive tree, every 400 years, like you do, you chop it off, just clean cut, right at the top of the trunk. And you're like, that's craziness. What happens is a whole new olive tree grows right out of the trunk of the old right out of that same trunk and a brand new tree comes out. Does that make sense? Okay, and you have to do that every 400 years or the tree starts to go wild no matter how much you try to cultivate it. Part of the cultivation is chopping it off and letting it grow. Now the reason that, you might have already picked up on this, the reason that the Old Testament uses that image is because that's what God has done with his people. God has born a people out of a tree and they lose the plot of the story and God cuts the tree off. Not so that he can forsake the tree, but what? So that a new healthy tree grows out of captivity, grows out of oppression. They forget that they were slaves in Egypt, and so God chops a tree off. So that they remember that they were slaves in Egypt in the plot of the story. Does that make sense? This is the uh, image of Isaiah's prophecy. Out of Jesse's stump, what? A shoot. Which in the, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew, that's called a netzer. Say netzer. Which netzeret is Nazareth, which is Shootville. The people of Nazareth believed the Messiah was going to come out of their town. How arrogant. <laughs> right? They're, they're Messiahville. Anyway, that's a tangent I shouldn't be on. That's the image of the olive tree, okay? Now, Paul's going to work with this, and he's going to do something crazy. Crazy, okay? Watch. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, who's he talking to? Gentiles. And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Paul says God has taken his olive tree and he's taken some branches out. He's pruned it. And then he took a wild, now I have to give you a picture here to appreciate this, okay? This is an olive tree, okay? probably have seen an olive tree before. These olives aren't quite ready for the harvest, but they're beautiful, I do say, if I do say so myself. They're going to turn black here within the next month or two and be ready for harvest. But if you've never seen an olive tree, you, olive tree, olive tree, you. Okay? Now, here's a wild olive branch. Man, that didn't have the effect of the first service either. I was expecting like, ooh. The wild olive branch, you wouldn't even know it's an olive branch unless, somebody, unless you know what you're looking at, unless somebody tells you. It doesn't even look like an olive branch. That's, the same, that's growing at the same time as the other olive tree you just saw a picture of. That's right next to it. The leaves are all stunted and weird. It, it doesn't even look like a tree. It looks more like a ratty old shrub uh, because it's not cultivated. Nobody's taking care of it. So it's just a mess, Right? No fruit at all, not even stunted fruit. No fruit grows on a wild olive tree. Depending on the situation, but typically no fruit grows on a wild olive tree. Now, Paul says, God broke out some branches from his olive tree, and he took you Gentiles, who look like that, 
Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't mean that to be an insult, but Paul's trying to, trying to draw a picture here, an image. He says, you Gentiles are this. The, Israel, the, 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 the Jews have been at this for 2,000 years. They are this cultivated olive tree that God has been working with and pruning and the trunk of the patriarchs and branches have been growing out of it. It's this beautiful thing that should be producing fruit and God has taken some of the branches out that aren't producing fruit and he's taken you that. Because you're not, how long have the Gentiles been at this? Not very long. When Paul writes Romans, not very long, a handful of years. And Paul says, God took you, this uncultivated, wild mess, and he grafted you into this cultivated olive tree. Let's go then. He, he took that and he put it in that. Now, when I was in Turkey studying this for the first time in 2010, um, I had a botanist in the group. And the botanist was explaining, I'm no botanist, I'm not a scientist, so I can't tell you if this is right or not. Um, some of you of I people maybe can tell. Uh, but he said, you don't take something that's this wild and screwed up and graft it. You graft something that's strong into, the trunk will support the graft, but the trunk isn't gonna make the new graft awesome. The new graft isn't going, it's gonna be supported by the trunk, but it's not gonna change the nature of the new graft. In fact, it's only gonna put a strain on the trunk which has to support the rest of the tree. So what, in essence, what Paul's explaining is nonsense, which, which fits what Paul is going to say. Later in the passage, Paul's gonna say, this is a mystery. Listen, brothers and sisters, Paul is no dum-dum. Paul was trained by Gamaliel. Paul is brilliant. Paul's like, I don't get this. I know it's true when I look at my text, but I don't understand it. It's a mystery to me. It's a mystery. I don't get it. This is not, and God's like, I know, isn't it awesome? Let's throw a party. And we're like, well, I don't know. Like, uh, we got to probably put some parameters on that wild olive shoot. Like, it needs to start bearing some fruit or else I'm not so sure how I feel about it. And God's like, are you serious? Let's throw a party. Because I love to do this stuff. I love it. It's who I am. So let's go to this next picture. Does that help understand what Paul's talking about? God took you and grafted you into that. It's, it's crazy. And God says, I love it. Let's go back to the text. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. Like how stupid would that be? That wild olive shoot, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big deal <laughs> hanging out here. In the, no, that'd be, that'd be ridiculous. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. Why was I raised in a Christianity that told me the exact opposite? Why was I raised in a Christianity that's like, well, we're New Testament people. New Testament. God's doing a new thing. We're the new thing. God planted a new tree and told the Jews that they, they lost it. Like the Jews lost it. They rejected Jesus. So if they want to get in, they can get grafted into our tree. Not what Paul just said. False teaching, if I do say so myself. Not what Paul just said. Not replacement theology, but we talk about that in the footnotes podcast. Um, you do not support the root. The root supports 
you. God did not plant a new tree and start over with plan B. The Jews weren't rejected. How many times has Paul said that in this letter? Did they fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Are they rejected because of this? No, not at all. Has God rejected his people? By no means. This, let's keep moving. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Paul says the only reason you find yourself in this tree is because you're willing to trust in the promises of God. That's it. God, God said that was enough for you to be grafted into this tree. And it's a thin thread. It's the strongest thread you've ever seen, but it's the only thread that you're tied into this tree by. Next. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Paul says, wait a minute. If God was willing to do something that's craziness by taking a wild olive shoot and grafting you into a cultivated olive tree, how much quicker do you think God's gonna be able to do something that actually makes sense? When those branches wanna come back in, do you think God's gonna hesitate for a moment to graft them back into his tree? No way. Let's keep moving. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Yeah, so, so when God started this story, he told Abraham, through you I want to bless all nations. So until all nations are blessed, Israel's story isn't finished yet. God said, I want, I want, I want you to be a light to the Gentiles. So until, until my people are a light to the Gentiles, the story not done yet. The story is not done yet. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Now, who is he talking to? The Gentiles. So who's the they? The Jews. If you listen to the footnotes, completely ignore what I said about this passage. I was an idiot and what I said was wrong, okay? Just be like, idiot. I totally got this passage backwards. So the Gentiles, the Jews are struggling with this gospel. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for them to accept this news that the Gentiles get full membership in God's family through the grace of God. And it's hard. And so as they struggle because of the gospel, they find themselves enemies to the Gentiles. But, listen to what he says, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable, irrevocable, or whatever you say there. But you can't change the call of God. Even though in this moment they're struggling to accept the goodness of the good news, it is their call, it's their story, and you can't take it away from them. 
because that's what God has called the Jewish people to be about. So again, has God forsaken his people? By no means. Let's keep moving. Just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy on you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he will have mercy on them all. Paul says, listen, if their screw-ups can bring you salvation, how much more could their screw-ups bring themselves salvation? Because God takes all of our screw-ups and makes it salvation. Ah, thank you. Woo! That, do we not know, have we not all experienced that truth? Like after some of the worst mistakes in your life, have you not found yourself standing right at the threshold of what God's doing? And you're like, whoa, how, how do you turn that into a self-help book? <laughs> like, go screw up so you can find, no, we wouldn't do that, but that's what God does so many times, which causes Paul to break out in this benediction. Like as Paul tries to explain this mystery and talk about God's goodness and talk about God's grace, he just like, and we don't know if this is like an old hymn or if Paul makes it up and writes it. Like there's all kinds of opinions about this, but Paul breaks out into song. Let's look at it. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Has anybody felt that way when they considered their own salvation? Like when you look back on your own story, has anybody ever felt like, whoa, like God knows what he's doing way a hundred times more than I do. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Amen. Yeah, let's keep going. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? He quotes some scripture in here. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, now. I'm running a little behind, so we need to move towards the Lord's Supper before we do some implications. Uh, so if our servers want to go back and get ready for that, they can. If you're visiting with us or new, we have an open table. What that means is that if you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're a part of the family. So eat with us today. Uh, take the bread, take the juice, and hold on to it, and we'll take it all together as a family here in a moment. Okay? Now, a few implications. First one. Our story has always been an Abrahamic story, rooted in the Jewish people, built upon Jewish history, and eavesdropping on very Jewish conversations. Sometimes there's this thing that comes up, like why are we always talking about the Jewish stuff? Because it is Jewish stuff. Because it's Jewish authors and Jewish audiences and a Jewish story and Jewish history and it's all Jewish, it's all rooted in a Jewish identity. Gentiles don't enter the story till 10 chapters into the book of Acts. The whole New Testament is written to a Jewish church trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles that are coming in. This is the story. There is no other story. If we don't talk about this, what story are we? Any Tolkien fans in the room? Tolkien fans, I know there's more of you than that. Don't be ashamed. I know. Nerd out with me for a moment, okay? Now, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? What yeah, thank you. <laughs> Boom. Okay. What happens if you only read the third book? Like you, you chuck out the first two parts of the trilogy. Do you even have the story? No. 
Yeah, you don't have the right story. I get concerned when we're like, well, all we need is the New Testament. But then we don't have the right story because you don't have the New Testament without it being rooted in the Old Testament. Okay, next, 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 next. We, we need to appreciate and never forget the Jewish roots of our Christian faith. And this, by the way, goes both directions. I, I'll, I'll be out and about, sometimes on the Palouse, sometimes in Spokane, different parts of wherever I go and around the country, and people walk up, I see you're Jewish. So am I. I'm, you're, I see you're Zitziot. Are you Jewish? Which is kind of a weird question. Like, yes. Where are yours? Is usually what I say, but never what I want to say. So, anyway, never mind. I see your, I see your, I see your, you're Jewish. Where do you worship? Especially if we're on the Palouse, where do you worship? I have this great partnership with this wonderful Protestant church in town. And they're like, what? Why would you do that? Because that has always been our call. Our call has always been to be a light to the Gentiles, to show the world what God is like. Oh, and then I meet Messianics, and I'm like, yes, finally, brothers and sisters. And they're like, why do you engage in all this pagan stuff? And I'm like, yeah, because this is my call to show all of you God together, and you get to show me. Because every time I look at you Gentiles, and you don't have to eat kosher, and you don't have to wear these funny tassels, and you don't have to be Jewish. <laughs> and I'm like, God just lets you in every time I'm reminded, yes, because that's what the love of God looks like. Okay, now, yeah, man, second service. Third service, better watch out. I'm sweating up here. Okay. Third implication. Arrogance is the most ill-fitting, out-of-place posture in the body of Christ. Arrogance is the most ill... Listen, I spent my whole life in the... I do not know. I don't know what it means to not belong to a group of Jesus followers. I have been a part of a group of Jesus followers since I was this... Since I was born... I don't know, even when I stepped out of them, there's a dark chapter in my life where I stepped out of ministry for about nine months. I didn't miss a Sunday. How screwed up is that? Like I was all mad and angry and I resigned and left a church and I went to a Baptist church that I called home for the next nine months. I didn't miss a Sunday. Sunday came around, I was like, well, time to go to church. Where do I go? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to exist outside why has God called me into that? Because he has always called his chosen people to be people that know what it means to empty themselves on behalf of others. Why would God give me that gift if it wasn't to bless others in this world? So arrogance would be the worst posture for somebody like me. But some of you have something that I'll never understand. Literally. I, I mean, I understand it on some level. But some of you know what it means to be lost and to be found. Yeah, thank you. Some of you guys know something I don't even know, and you help me. Because you know what it means to come from nothing into everything by the grace of God. 
Now, you, you guys have to remember, never lose the awe and the wonder of God's salvation. Never lose it. Never lose it. Because you have a tendency to want to either become part of group A like me, don't do it. Or you want to get bitter at people like me, don't do that either. We all have to remember to stay humble and appreciate. Let's go to the last one, last one, last implication. God's ways are always unsearchable and his paths are beyond tracing out. You are never gonna figure out how God's gonna do this because God's ways are always like, I can't even believe you would bring those people in. Yep, because that's what he does because that's what he does and he loves to do it. God expects the blessed to bless others, the rejected to be included and everyone to remember where they came from. God always expects the blessed to bless others, the rejected to be included, and everyone to remember where they came from. Now let's throw that picture up there from the tree. Did that help kind of explain what Paul was doing? Okay, there's a tree in New York where they have grafted 40 different fruits onto the same tree. This is a digital creation of what that tree probably will look like when it's in full bloom. Let's go to the next slide. Listen. If you want a picture of what God's family looks like, you're looking at it. And here's the thing, no matter which branch we're a part of, no matter which branch we are that's been grafted into God's family, we're about ready to partake in the most, this is solidarity. Because no matter who we are, we all gather around the broken body and the shed blood of Christ and we all get to say, thank goodness for the grace of God, me too. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or a slave or free or male or female. It doesn't matter. We all end up being one in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is good news. That night that Jesus was be betrayed, but the night that he did so much more than that. He, ate, he had supper and he washed his disciples' feet and he taught them about the Holy Spirit. He took a piece of bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Whenever you do this, remember. Just Remember. And later that night to a havara, a group of disciples that included tax collectors and fishermen, zealots and Herodians, and everybody in between, Jesus took a cup, he passed it amongst them, he said, drink from it all of you, this is the blood of the covenant. Same covenant for all of them. Same covenant for you and for me. And whenever you do this, remember, let's remember. Father God, my prayer is that you might remind us, remind us of where we've come from. Remind us, God, if we've been a part of your story since infancy. Remind us of the call, of the grace that it took for you to call us into that from birth. Uh, allow us to appreciate what you asked us to be a part of and remember that. It, it, if, God, we were a part of a group that has come from darkness, deep dark, disgusting darkness into light. Remind us of that incredible journey. Remind us of the awe and the wonder of your love and your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your forgiveness. Remind us all what you're up to in this world. Remind us all where we've come from. God, we love you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who calls us. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you'd like to dive a little deeper into this week's message, make sure to check out this week's Footnotes podcast. Also, we'd love to connect with you online at liferotp.com, on Facebook, and on Twitter at liferotp. Romans, the Declaration, will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.